Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Soul Focused Radio. This is your host, Martin Friedman, and I'm so excited today to be joined by Dr. Arlene Coleman. Arlene, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Martin. And you? I'm doing really well myself. You're joining us today from Indiana. How's the how's the weather? How's how's life in Indiana? Well, it's a little cold and rainy today, but any day is a good day. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you remind me of of my when my father was towards the end of his life. I'd say, "How you you know, uh, how you doing, Dad?" And he'd say, "Alive," and I'd always say back to him, "Well, it's better than the alternative." And he'd always <laughs> laugh. That was our that was our little our little uh, saying. So. I agree with you 100%. So we can just jump right into this conversation. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. As as you know, we've been trying for a while to schedule this, and we finally can. I'm really excited to hear your story and share your story with our listeners. You know, our listeners, you know, really have given us feedback that they really like meeting our team. Um, Sometimes people, before they engage with us in a training, they want to know a little something about who the trainers are. So this is an opportunity to get to know you a little bit along with the rest of our, our facilitators. So if you want to just, you know, say who you are and just a little bit about yourself and we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I'm Arlene Coleman. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. I am um, one of 13 children. I'm also the mother of two daughters and three granddaughters. I am uh, a retired educator. Uh, I spent 41 years at the secondary level, both as a teacher and an administrator, and then 10 years uh, in higher ed. And all of that work, of course, was done in education. I'm currently involved in anti-racism work, social justice, uh, racial work, which I have been involved since the 1980s. Mm. So I like, um, I collect butterflies. I like music, live plays, dancing, a lot of fun stuff that we really haven't been able to do a lot of here lately because of the pandemic. But uh, I know we'll be able to get back to that soon. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you for uh, for saying that that part, because I was going to say the same thing. I was going to like at least two out of those three activities you haven't been able to do very much for the last year and a half or so. So that's a long time to be working in education. Can you tell us a little bit about what was your experience as a student? Because I know, you know, I know a little bit that you had you had a pretty interesting experience yourself as a student growing up in Indiana. So if you could just talk a little bit about that, that'd be awesome. Sure. I'd like to start out sharing uh, my parents' education or lack thereof because of racism. But my mom... Mm. Perfect. I had an eighth grade education and my dad had a third grade education. They both grew up in the South and was part of the great migration that migrated from the South to the North. They both were sharecroppers and they both picked cotton. Hmm. So as a result of their being prevented from getting a good education, my mom made it her goal to get all 13 of her children through high school. So that was her goal, and I'm proud to say she was able to accomplish that. Being the youngest girl of 13 children, I was the first to go to college, and I was able to do that because I was surrounded by so much love and so many people that saw potential in me and took an interest in me. I went to uh, the Indianapolis Public Schools. We moved in 1960 
from what was considered the black side of town uh, near Indiana Avenue and where IUPUI currently is now. We moved north uh, when I was in kindergarten to a neighborhood that had uh, a mixture of blacks and whites. And I was, as I said, in kindergarten at this time. And it really was just a matter of less than two years before that neighborhood turned all black. We mm. probably are familiar with redlining and how when so many blacks move in, whites move out of a neighborhood because they see it as going down. And that's exactly what happened in my neighborhood. I was able to go to an elementary school in that neighborhood that had both black and white teachers. And it was those teachers that saw potential in me and took me under their wing. It was two black teachers in particular. I had known since third grade that I wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I got in junior high school, uh, back then it was called home economics. The home economics teacher said, hey, if this is what you want to do, we're going to help you to get there. And so she and one of her friends started taking me to 4-H meetings, 4-H competitions, and uh, taking me to various colleges in the state and just nurturing me and helping me along. And one of them said, you're going to go to George Washington High School. And when you get there, I have a friend who teaches there and she'll be waiting on you. And lo and behold, Miss Howard stayed in touch with me. Miss Davis became my new mentor. And those ladies just loved me and threw so many opportunities in front of me and just surrounded me and gave me all that I needed to be successful and even was instrumental in helping me get into Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. And so as I look back on that, but by my mother, those women in the grace of God, I probably would not be where I am today. But through all of that community love and neighborhood giving and support and encouragement, I have to say that's how I got to, to where I am today, or at least that was the beginnings. That was the start of my getting to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. By the way, I'm old enough to remember home ec too. I, remember <laughs> I took I took <laughs> I took home ec in uh, in junior high school. And that's when it was junior high school before it was middle school too, when it was uh, right. seventh seventh eighth and ninth grade. So yeah, so we've both seen a lot of changes in education for sure. So when you when you went to that school the elementary school that you went to, had it already been desegregated or was that, you know, was that part of your experience where you were actually part of, of desegregating that school? No, that school was already, uh, as I said, the neighborhood was mostly a mixture uh, from about 60 to 62. And then not only uh, did the, did the neighborhood turn all black, but the student yeah. population at the school did as well. Some okay. of the white teachers stayed there. But when I graduated mm -hmm. from eighth grade, I had all black classmates. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, so that's amazing. Went, so you were. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you no, you go ahead. I was just saying. So when I went to high school, I had the option to go to George Washington, Christmas Attics or Short Ridge. And I ch chose Christmas. I mean, I chose George Washington because. That's where older siblings had gone. And in fact, I had a brother who was there the time that I arrived. And now Washington was a mixed school because people could, in IPS, you could choose from all over the city which which of those schools, high schools you wanted to go to mm -hmm. at the time that I came along. So, in fact, there were a lot more whites at that school than blacks and mostly white teachers. We had a, a few black teachers, but mostly white teachers. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I um I had the opportunity to train with the Racial Equity Institute at Christmas Attics High School. So um I got to to know that that history there and some of the history of the schools, but to hear from you uh firsthand is is very powerful. Yeah, thank you. You yeah, I mean firsthand you got to watch, you know, Indianapolis change, right? You got to watch that white flight and uh, you know, the redlining, you know when the red line gets crossed then there's white flight then they red line again so you really got to see that up front and personal how got, else did that did that show for you no 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 you're good you're good go ahead i just said i got to see a lot of that as i said i'm from a family of 13 and so my first five siblings had to go to christmas addicts mm. the second five of us had the option and so we went to george washington the last three which were all boys were involved in the beginning of I, some of the beginning of IPS's busing, the public schools busing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Charles, the oldest of those three, had to go to Manual, and then the last two boys had to go to Northwest. So by the time they came along, there was a lot of busing taking place within IPS. So you really, you really experienced that firsthand. You really did. Yes. In your family. And all 13, all 13 graduated from high school, you said, all 13. Yes. yes. And you were the first to go to college. Did some of your other siblings go to college later on? Most of them did. Mostly all of them either went to college or a trade school or technical mm-hmm. school or something, but everybody got training uh, beyond high school. Okay. And so tell us a little bit about what was, what was uh, your journey around higher education um, you know, I introduce you as Dr. Dr. Arlene, and I know we've had this conversation before because I always want to call you Dr. Arlene because anybody that that took the time to get those letters in front of their name, I always want to honor it because I certainly didn't do that, you know, put in that time and energy. So tell us a little bit about your journey through higher education. Well, as I said, I got the first degree from Purdue, from West Lafayette. Yep. And I, I started teaching for uh, really it's about my first year of teaching. And there were, again, black mentors in IPS. And one in particular pulled me to the side and said, have you ever thought about going into administration? Why don't you uh, start taking a couple courses in the evenings to see if it's something you think you would be interested in? And lo and behold, I did. So I uh, got the master's in secondary ed and administration at the same time. And so I was in the classroom for 10 years, an administrator, uh, the rest of my time at the high school level. And maybe after I had been um, an administrator for about 10 or 15 years, I thought uh, Indiana State was starting a program where they wanted to allow uh, administrators in the city to get get PhDs. And I applied and was fortunate enough to get in the program. There were 12 of us. As I said, it was a pilot program. So the professors came to us in the evenings as opposed to us going to them. We did have to do our residency on campus one summer, but by the grace of God, I was fortunate enough to earn a um, PhD in educational leadership. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. That's why I have to call you Dr. Arlene because that's <laughs> that's a lot of work. It wasn't. I'm sure the I'm sure the grace of God had a lot to do with it, but I, I bet you there was a lot of a lot of hard work. <laughs> from, yeah, my from Dr. Arlene along the way. Yeah, my driving force was my mother. 
because she said she'd always wanted to be a teacher. And while she wasn't able to do it herself, she was able to see it become a reality in me. And so I thought for her to have 13 children, if she could have one at the highest degree possible, that that would certainly, certainly do her well, as well as myself. And so I worked on it for me, but I worked on it for my mom as well, even more so. What do you carry um, with you from your mom? Because I, I can only imagine just, you know, you saying the, the her story of, you know, of her being a, a sharecropper and picking cotton and then coming up to, to Indiana, just, you know, I, I, and, and having 13 children and having all of them graduate from high school. What what do you carry from her in you, you know, to keep her legacy going? Because it sounds like keeping her legacy going is very important to you. I carry my mom's determination. and I, n- I never met a more determined woman. She was, we all love our mothers and think highly of them. But my mom was, she was a genius and she was so giving. You never met her when she wasn't giving you something whether it was a blanket or some food or some money. And she not only did that to her children, she did that to everybody that she came in contact with. And so I've picked that up from her. But I remember uh, printing off Christmas cards. I mean, a Christmas letter that I had written one year and taking it to have it printed. And I couldn't get it printed. I don't know if the the shop was closed or what. And she was with me. And I said, well, I guess I won't be sending this year. She said, yes, you will. She said, we're going to find another store. We're not stopping here. And and that was just the way she was. I never will forget. She made my brother ride to Greenwood with me in the 70s because I took a class on a Saturday and Greenwood was considered a sundown town. And she did not want me going there by myself. So I'm in college. My brother's older than me. She told him to clear his schedule because he was riding down there with me, which he did. Wow. She also was sick in the bed with the flu and I had to drive to Lafayette to take a final exam and I couldn't find anybody to go with me. That woman put a coat on, sat in the back of the lecture hall and stayed there until I finished that test. And then we rode back home together. So those are just a few of the stories. And she not only treated me that way, my sister-in-law used to say she didn't know of anybody that had 13 children and spoiled every one of them. <laughs> so that's oh, wow. just a little example of the kind yeah. of woman she was. Yeah. I would love to hear more. You use the terminology genius. And you know, at Soul Focus Group, we often share the genius study. And, you know, we always we talk a lot about the fact that the genius is a misused terminology that people think in order to be a genius, you have to have memorized a lot of facts and be able to, you know, talk about all those facts and you need to be able to, you know, take a lot of tests and you know, go really far in college, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's how we've come to misunderstand genius. But we talk about the genius study, which, which really measures like creative problem solving abilities. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how your mother was a, was a genius. Well, my mom and my dad both were geniuses and, and, and I wouldn't limit it to just them. I would limit it to all of the, all of the African Americans that came before us that managed to survive and go on and do well under the conditions Mm -hmm. that they existed. You know, when you start talking about book sense versus common sense, they're second to none. Those people were able to invent things. You know, when you talk, (laughs) we always laughed and said, mama would go in the kitchen with nothing and come out with a meal. So Mm -hmm. when you talk about people born her generation and, and long before her, 
they were so creative and inventive and could sit down and figure out whatever situation they were in and come out a survivor. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I mean, it's, it's criminal that we don't recognize that, you know, that we don't, we don't see that as genius and that there's, there's, there's been, and when I say we, I I mean, we as a society that we've never put value on something that should have so much value put on it like that. Right. Yeah. So I I think, you know, we're going to transition in just a minute here to talk about, you know, to talk more specifically about education, your experience in education, how you saw racism playing out in, in the education system and, you know, your experiences and, and a little bit about how you see us moving forward to end racism in education. Cause you know, as, as our listeners know, we, you know, we definitely still talk about being anti-racist because we're obviously against racism. And we're also talking about evolving past just being anti-racist to really solving that problem of racism, really solving for racism in every every system and in all our lives. So I, I definitely want to transition our conversation to that in part two. But I just wanted to see if there's anything else that you wanted to share about, about your journey, about yourself, about anything else that you want to say. Oh, I can't, I can't really think of anything in particular right now. Uh, I just know that I feel very fortunate in being able to accomplish what I have in life in terms of education. And so I, in turn, try to pass that on. A perfect example is where I borrowed a friend of mine's dissertation, and I think I had it the whole time I was working on my degree. And so my way of giving back was to order three of my own dissertations, which I loan out to people as they come to me and tell me they're working on their dissertation. If it is a qualitative study, even if it isn't a quality, if it's a quantitative study, I say here, keep take this, keep it as long as you need it, because I'm paying back what was given to me and trying to pay forward as well. Yeah, I think that's so that's such a powerful aspect of your story, which I think is coming through so clearly is. You're not your approach is not an individualistic approach at all. Uh, I'm hearing very clearly from you the connectedness, the relationships in every aspect. You talked about your family and how important you know of a role they played in your success. You talked about different mentors you had along the way in the educational field. So I think coming through so strongly is your recognition of you know how important relationships have been in your life to get to where you are. Martin, there is one other thing I'd like to share, and this has been my theme, and this has been what I've shared with anybody that has much conversation with me at all about my dissertation. I um, wasn't sure that I I may have bitten off more than I can chew. I wasn't sure that I could accomplish that. I tell people I can pick out other people's errors, but I'm the world's worst speller. I I, uh, have learned to develop a writing technique and skill over time, but I didn't start out with that. And so I really uh, oftentimes had pity parties for myself as I was working on the dissertation. And mm-hmm. every time I would get down, sometimes I would cry, sometimes I would be upset. But my story as a result of going through that process is God sends you what you need when you need it. Every mm-hmm. time I would get like that, either the phone would ring or somebody would be at the door or so- I'd open up the mail. I always found the assistance, support, encouragement, and love that I needed all along the way. And so in the end, I ended up not having one graduation party, but having two, Mm -hmm. one for coworkers 
and friends and another for my family. And both of them had a large number of people <laughs> at them. So we had a real celebration in the end. But I always tell you that the motto for me during the whole process was God sends you what you need when you need it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you have to be open to receive it, though, too. Right. Yes. Because a lot of us aren't a lot of us aren't open. So you you had to be open. You had to have an openness, even through your frustration, even through your tears. You had to have an openness to receive, you know, the assistance that was coming your way. Yes. Well, I just want to thank you. You know, this was this was uh, enlightening for me, you know, just for, for me to get to know you a little bit better. And I'm sure that our listeners are really appreciate you sharing what you did about your family and about your experience growing up. And uh, we'll close out part one here. And then with part two, we'll, we'll just talk a little bit more about about your experience as an educator and how you see us moving forward to a a more liberated education than we've had to this point. So I want to thank. uh, I just want to jump in and say one other thing. I think it was. I think it was important to share the struggle and the sacrifice in telling my story because people look at others and think, oh, it came as a gift or it just happened. You know, it just fell in their lap. When we know when when you accomplish anything in life, there's a story behind that accomplishment. And so I like to share with people some of my struggles. So anybody out there that's attempting that know that it is possible to get through the end. And yes, you may struggle, but there'll always be somebody there to help you. You just have to have an open heart and a willing mind in order to receive that help, as you said. Yeah, that's that's so important. Thank you for for really emphasizing that, right? Because it's it's a it's a lesson that all of us need to be reminded of every day. Even if you you come from a lot, you know, even if you come from a lot, you had a lot of advantages growing up. There's still going to be moments in your life where you don't think you have what you need to get done what you're trying to do. Right. So all of us can relate to that. All of us. So again, I just want to thank you so much for taking us on this journey with you of, of, you know, of your life to this point. And I want to thank our listeners as always for being on this journey with us. Um, know that we love you. We care about you. We're excited to build a new and exciting world with you and honor where we came from, honor the relationships, honor the people in our lives that got us to where we are. This is a, an ahistorical nation. We forget our history. We forget our stories. We forget our past. So I want to hold up. Um, how uh, Dr. Arlene really, really honored her story and the story of her family. And because we, we need to start remembering our history. We cannot be ahistorical. And this, this country is asking us to forget our history and we can't let that happen. So thank you for coming on this journey with us. We ask you to go to soulfocusgroup.com, check out everything that we offer, continue on this journey along with us. And uh, we want you to stay safe, stay well, and most of all, stay Soul focused. If you wish to support and represent the Soul Focus Group, check out our apparel store at our website www.soulfocusgroup.com forward slash shop.